Hello and welcome to this audio recording of the weekly research roundup for research published between the 1st and 7th of November 2022. I'm Katrina Pez, the research correspondent for the ME Association. There has been a variety of research this week from reviews to biological studies. However, there have only been three new ME-CFS studies, but 17 studies on long COVID. We have highlighted two of the studies below. Paper 1 is a review article on autoimmune autonomic nervous system imbalances and includes the conditions chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, silicon breast implant syndrome, COVID and post-COVID syndrome, sick building syndrome, post-orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, POTS, autonomic diseases and autonomic inflammatory syndrome. The authors review the current evidence for the role on autoantibodies against G-protein coupled receptors GPCR or anti-GPCR in all of the conditions that I just listed. GPCR may also be known under several different names including 7-pass transmembrane domain receptors, 7-TM receptors as they pass through the membrane seven times, and serpentine receptors. GPCR is expressed by almost every cell and involved in several different activities, including, but not exclusive to, activating intracellular signaling processes which regulate cell trafficking and migration, secretion of inflammatory cytokines and neurotransmission. Due to their role in cell recognition and signaling processes, they are often targeted for drugs. Research has also shown that in some conditions, the imbalance of anti-GPCR, either decreased or increased compared to controls, plays a role in the development of autoimmune conditions. For example, in long COVID, higher levels of anti-GPCR PCR anti-DSG2 antibodies have been found, which has been implicated in the cardiology. Fortunately, or unfortunately, we can't read the full review as it's behind a payroll, so we cannot see the sections which are specific to ME-CFS. However, for me, this review is looking at too many different conditions and trying to cover too many bases, with the chance of something insightful being gained from this being very small. We also saw another review like this published by one of the same authors back in the summer. So it's unusual that there's another review being published which contains the same mix of conditions. Paper 2 looks at functional MRI scans to look at the different networks in the brain which are called the brain salience SA and default mode DMN networks and how these differ between healthy controls and those with ME-CFS. Interestingly, and what really stands out about this study is that they use participants with ME-CFS who were diagnosed with different criteria, which was the International Consensus Criteria, ICC, which they had 18 participants, and the Food Kudu Criteria, which they had 24 participants, to see how these compare. This is the first study I have come across of this nature, which is coupled with a biological study which is reassuring as the FUKUDA criteria is heavily criticised in its use to diagnose ME-CFS 
especially when it is used within research. For example, problems with the FUKUDU criteria include post-exertional malaise, PEM, is not compulsory, which leads to misdiagnosis, and it is also hard to use on a clinical level. There is also a review on these contrasting case definitions, which has also been written by Brown et al. 2013. Unfortunately, we cannot read the full study as it is behind a paywall, but the abstract provides enough detail to show us that there is different neuropathology involved in MECFS for patients who are diagnosed with the ICC criteria or the Fukuda criteria, as different brain connectivity was found during the functional MRI tasks, and these were different from healthy controls. Furthermore, the different regulatory connections were consistent with the impaired cognitive performance and sleep-wake cycles of people with MECFS, providing further evidence supporting the evidence for neurological problems in MECFS. You may also be interested in reading several other of the studies in this week's roundup. Paper 3 in the MECFS reference section is a review article which further reinforces the benefit of active pacing in managing symptoms. In the long COVID reference section, these studies might also be of interest. Paper 1 is on the protocol which can be used to test the effectiveness of the use of hydrobaric oxygen therapy for the treatment on long COVID. Therefore, there are no results in this study yet. Interestingly, in the abstract of this protocol, the authors claim that hydrobaric oxygen treatment has also been shown to be effective in MECFS and fibromyalgia, although there are only one study showing this in each condition. We have covered the use of hydrobaric oxygen therapy in more detail in one of our previous research roundups. Paper 2 is a case report on long COVID and pregnancy and provides some guidance for care providers. With the rapid pace of research into long COVID, it is surprising that we have not seen any studies into pregnancy, which is also an area lacking within MECFS research. With the increase in recognition of the similarity between these two conditions, research in this area is needed. Hopefully, the EMI Association funded project due to start next summer will provide some answers surrounding pregnancy. Paper 3 is a review article on the possible use of melatonin in long COVID, and it has been suggested that melatonin may also be useful in reducing other symptoms such as cognitive function slash brain fog, and pain as well as sleep disturbances. Although currently no proper clinical trials have been conducted, Dr. Charles Shepherd has also provided a comment on this review. Thank you for listening to this audio recording of the weekly research roundup. I will be back next week with the next instalment.